God's word together. Josh is going to come up and he's going to lead us in that. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. We'll be reading chapter 12, verses 1 to 19 in the book of John today. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus has raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray before we start sharing through this. Father God, open your word. Show us Jesus again. Lord, maybe for some of us the first time. Show us him in his majesty that we might bow before him, we ask. Amen. Well, this year we have been on a journey through John's Gospel and we have come to the last chapter of where we're heading in John's Gospel in our yearly theme, Hear, Believe, Obey. The first 12 chapters of John's Gospel are called, many people call them the book of the signs and so chapter 12 is the end of the book of the signs and so chapter 12 comes just after the last and greatest sign, all the signs that Jesus did. The one that is the most spectacular is when he raised his friend Lazarus from the tomb four days after he had been buried. He's raised to life. He's there with the people. It's undeniable this man was dead and buried and now he walks amongst us. What a sign of the majesty and power of Jesus 
of Nazareth. Certainly this Jesus is special. Certainly this Jesus cannot be ignored. And there's a buzz around Jerusalem. There's a buzz all over Judea because of this Jesus and his signs. The raising of Lazarus, we're just starting a new series called The King of Glory because we see Jesus as king in chapter 12. And the raising of Lazarus is the log of John chapter, of John's gospel. What do I mean by that? Well, you've heard the phrase, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. Let's, let's put, take a camel here and let's load it up with straw or hay. We're going to take this hay somewhere. We're going to load it on the camel's back. Oh, Stuart, can we fit one more on? Yes, another one. Can we fit one more on? And the camel's getting way down and way down. Until someone says, can we fit one more? And they just take the littlest straw and they put it on the camel's back and the camel goes, crash. That was the straw that broke the camel's back. Jesus has been doing all these signs. He is amazing. What are we going to do about this man? The religious leaders are getting stressed. They're getting nervous. They're feeling their power is threatened. People are thinking that he's the Messiah and there's one sign after another sign and after another sign and then he raises his friend Lazarus from the dead after four days dead and that is, that's not the straw that broke the camel's back. That is the great, big, massive log that broke the camel's back. Things are coming to a head. We cannot put up with this any longer. You have to do something about Jesus, the man who even raises the dead. The religious leaders resolved to kill him. See, the thing is, you're either going to have to kill this Jesus or you're going to have to bow before him. Because we can't just ignore him any longer. He will either die or he will be crowned, enthroned. Or is it possible? No, that could never happen. Is it possible in some weird purpose of God? No, that could never happen. Is it possible that he could both die and be enthroned as the King of Glory? That's where we're at. We're at the log that broke the camel's back. Jesus has withdrawn after raising Lazarus for his own safety because the time is not right. Meanwhile, back in the city of Jerusalem, in chapter 11, verse 56, they kept looking for Jesus. It's almost the Passover, the great festival. And as they stood in the temple courts, they asked one another, what, what do you think? Isn't he coming to the festival after all? Well, isn't he here? He should be here if he's the king. But the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that anyone who found out where Jesus was should report it so that they might arrest him and they will kill him. Six days before Passover, with all this expectation to kill or to worship or whatever, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, just outside of Jerusalem, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Jesus comes back into the cauldron. 
and they throw, because he's back and he raised their brother and it's so amazing, they throw a thanksgiving dinner for Jesus, probably at the the house of a fellow called Simon the leper. And Lazarus is there and his two sisters, Mary and Martha, there. And verse 9, if you look in our chapter, Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and they came not only because of him but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. They're all there for a sticky beak. Out of curiosity, that's him. Full on, he was dead. I was at the funeral. And that guy over there, that's the guy who shouted, that's Jesus. The great crowd, they're having a sticky beak. Satisfying their curiosity. An expectation is rising even higher. Verse 10. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. Kill the evidence. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Many were saying, this is the Messiah, this is the Messiah. Verse 17. Now the crowd that was with him with Jesus when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to spread the word. You can sort of see this cauldron and it's bubbling and it's being stirred and it's bubbling and it's, it's going to boil over. Something's going to happen. Something's got to give in this situation. Lazarus is the log that broke the camel's back. And the leaders are getting more and more embittered as the crowds get more and more excited. Either you are my king or you are my sworn enemy and this forcing resolution. Die or throne or both. We're looking at two incidents today where Jesus is identified as king. Steve Chong next week will be here and he'll be focusing again on just the first incident. But I want us to look at both of them together because I think in both of them together we can see a pattern where Jesus is first identified as king then somebody else challenges that identification and then thirdly and most fascinating, Jesus corrects everybody's identification. So there's identification, challenge, correction. The first event, Jesus is identified as king by being anointed with oil. Verse 2. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honour. Martha served while Lazarus was amongst those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint, about 350 grams of Coke can of pure nard, an expensive perfume and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now I think for most of us when we think royal, we think England. We think Queen Elizabeth, Buckingham Palace. She has been regent since 1952 which is a long time. So we don't really know, we have none of us, very few of us, very few of us, you can talk to them later, those who have, very few of us have known a British coronation. 
But what they do, and you probably know what they do, what they do to identify the king or to identify the queen, they have all this pomp and ceremony and they go to Westminster Abbey and they have all this ceremony and they place a crown on the regent's head. You are our king. You are our queen. In ancient Israel, they didn't place the crown on the head in the same way. They still had all the pomp and ceremony because it's a big deal, but what they would do is they'd take very expensive lavish ointment oil, ointment, perfume, and they would pour it on the king's head. They would anoint the king with oil. And that is what Mary does to Jesus at this special dinner. This is almost certainly the same incident we see recorded in Matthew and Mark. And in Matthew and Mark we're told that the Oil was poured on Jesus' head, but here it's the feet, but it's so much oil, you can imagine a Coke can or more of oil. It's just running, heavy oil, perfumed oil, running all the way down to Jesus' feet. And Mary takes her hair and wipes Jesus' feet that she, with the oil that she poured on them. Symbolically, she's saying, Jesus, you are my king. This is what her family believed, Lazarus and Martha. In fact, in chapter 11, Martha says, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Mary says, I believe Jesus, I bow, I serve in humility. But straight away comes the challenge. From an enemy, verse 4, But one of Jesus' disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why hasn't this perfume, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It is worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief as keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. I reckon as Judas says this, he feels righteously justified. What? A year's worth of perfume. I could work for a year to get that perfume and it's poured out on Jesus in one moment. The righteous indignation rises within him. I reckon he believed himself, though he knew he was a thief. So it is when we are deceived by self-righteousness, a false godliness, a false religion, a false piety. Judas in his righteous indignation is like someone standing in Westminster Abbey with all the pomp and ceremony and standing up and shouting, what a waste of money! You'd only do that if you failed to appreciate the moment. This is the coronation of the King of England and Great Britain and whatever, all the rest of it. This is the coronation. And actually that person standing up in Westminster Abbey with their self-righteous indignation is probably filled with envy and pride and bitterness because I am not king and it's not all about me. You see, Jesus is worth everything. 
He's worth all of our devotion. He's worth our every effort because he is our saviour king. For goodness sakes, Mary's there because he raised my brother from the dead. He promises to raise all who will believe. He is our Messiah. He is our King. Mary challenges us. How much do we give in devotion? How much do we give in devotion to the one who is Lord of life? Who offers us life? How much do we bow in joy before him? But Jesus comes... And responds to Judas's challenge, and he actually, as he does, he actually gives a correction that maybe neither of you quite understand what's going on here. Mary really didn't appreciate the full extent of her lavish behaviour. She did more than she realised. Verse 7 Jesus says, Leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will not always have the poor amongst you. You will always have the poor amongst you, but you will not always have me. You see, Jesus says Mary's anointing is a pre-embalming. And in that culture it was thought no great big it wasn't thought to be a big deal to spend a lot of money on a funeral, particularly on perfume which would help cover the odors of the body. What Mary is prophetically doing, symbolically doing, despite her knowing it, is foreshadowing the establishment of Jesus' reign through the cross. He is king and he will die for his people and he will be raised on the third day and reign eternally. Jesus is the king, the servant king who dies to save his people. Leave her alone. She is performing a beautiful act of costly devotion that is so fitting for my ministry, for my love for you. And is Jesus not still king? Is he not reigning on high? Is he not worthy of all of our love and devotion? Is he not worthy of everything? And are we at times too much like Judas? Lord, save us from this. Save this church from this. Are we too much like Judas in our religion, following Jesus as long as Jesus serves our needs? Or are we like Mary? grateful at his feet, worshipping the Lord of life. Well, there's episode one. Episode two, Jesus is again identified as king. This time he's identified as king by the acclamation of the crowds. This whole Lazarus thing is totally spinning out of control. They're coming to see not just Jesus, but Lazarus. The Jewish leaders put a bounty on Lazarus's head. It's all bubbling, bubbling, bubbling away until next day Jesus makes a short trip a couple of kilometres from Bethany into the city of Jerusalem and what a trip it was. Chapter, verse 12. The next day the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches 
And they went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna, save us now. Give salvation now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. The crowd are largely quoting from Psalm 118. A psalm they sang at the Feast of Tabernacles. They would have all been familiar with these words. And you can imagine what it's like as Jesus comes into Israel. Maybe it was like being at a sports match where people start shouting things or singing things. They know the lines. Once one person gets started, another person gets started. Hoshana, Hoshana, Hoshana. Give salvation now. Bring salvation now. You, save us now. Save us now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The King of Israel. The King of Israel. The King of Israel. Blessed is he who Hosanna. Hosanna. Again. And they're shouting. And Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. You are our King. You be our Saviour. You're our leader. You raised a man from the dead. You brought the new age. You're bringing the new day. There is delightment and there is expectation and jubilation. Here comes the king and they are absolutely right. But almost every one of those people welcoming Jesus imagined that he was the king. They had a second narrative in the back of their mind. These Roman pigs are going to be kicked out of the city. We're going to have a king in the palace, our Jewish king in the palace, our Messiah king, and the Romans are going down. He will lead us in warfare to destroy the Romans. And so, Jesus, here's their identification, and then, sorry, and that is why Jesus, that is, why Jesus is challenged. Because some people don't like those thoughts. Jesus, with all the people recognising him as the king, is a huge threat to the Jewish authorities. Everybody's going over to Jesus. Everyone's starting to follow Jesus. We'd rather have the Romans, thank you. Because we don't know this man, we don't know how to work with this man, and we don't want this man. We'd rather have the Romans. This is terrible. Verse 19. The Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. They will not acclaim Jesus. They want to kill him. But Jesus, we've had identification, we've had the challenge that Jesus provides a correction. I don't think any of you are quite understanding this rightly. He corrects the crowds in a sense and he corrects his enemies. He does it symbolically in fulfilment of prophecy. Look at verse 14. See if you can follow this. But Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, quoting from the prophet Zechariah, Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Well, that's a cryptic correction, but it's a very powerful one that many of them would have been familiar with. Jesus does not enter Jerusalem riding a war horse with a sword and a shield. 
Jesus enters Jerusalem riding a donkey, a young donkey, a donkey colt. It's what the prophet Zechariah had prophesied in this rather peculiar prophecy. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious. Here he comes, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. It's kind of a comical scene. Okay, no horse. Well, how about a donkey? Well, actually, not just a donkey. How about the foal of a donkey? The king. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. Jesus comes as the gentle king, the prince of peace. Jesus comes as the one not to fight war, but who will make war cease. Who will bring peace for all nations. Jesus comes to rule all people, not just the Jewish people. That's the prophet. That's the, that's the king who comes on the donkey. Verse 11, it goes on, Zechariah. As for you, listen to this, as for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. The rule of this gentle king is associated with the blood of God's covenant. A covenant, a sure swearing, a promise by God associated with blood spilt. That is how the king is going to rule and through the blood of the covenant he will set the prisoners free. You see, once again, Jesus' correction. As he comes into Jerusalem on this donkey colt, foreshadows the establishment of his reign through the cross. Through his death and through his resurrection. Mighty glory, mighty King Jesus, Prince of Peace, who sets the prisoner free by the blood of the eternal covenant. Verse 16. At first the disciples did not understand all this. I'm not surprised. Only after Jesus was glorified, that means after his death and resurrection, only after Jesus was glorified did they realise that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. The people are shouting, You are our king, you are our king but they don't yet know the sort of king that he is. Mary, in her devotion, anoints Jesus, king. The crowds in their exaltation acclaim Jesus, king. 
And both are wonderful and both are true. But of these two stories, one is more complete. You see, John's Gospel continues. Within a week, there are crowds. The the cauldron and the crowds... Within a week, the cauldron of the people of Jerusalem are looking at Jesus and saying, Crucify! Crucify him! What a turnaround. Yeah, they got it right. Jesus was entering Jerusalem as their Messiah, as the King. They recognised truly who Jesus was. And yeah, they got it right. As Jesus entered in Jerusalem, they rejoiced in him. They celebrated, here comes our king, and they were right. But to follow Jesus, you need more than recognition. Maybe some of you need to hear that. To follow Jesus, you need more than recognition. Yes, I believe Jesus is Lord. Whatever belief means, because belief's got to mean more than recognition. And to follow Jesus, you need more than celebration. Yay, 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 Jesus is king. You need more than that. What we really need to believe, to follow Jesus, is what Mary had. We need to humble ourselves And we need to come and believe in Jesus as the Lord who gives life, my Saviour and King, and in believing, giving everything. You are my King. You are my Lord. All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. This is our God, the servant king, who calls us now to follow him, to give our lives as a daily offering in worship to the servant king. When we sing these songs, which we do every Sunday, you know, songs, You are my king, Jesus, you are my king. Oh, what a king, glorious king. Maybe some of you are saying, no way, I don't believe this. He's not my king. Maybe some of you are saying, okay, yeah, he's kind of my my king. Yeah, sort of in this conceptual, religious kind of way-ish thing. But when we declare the risen Jesus, exhorted on high as our king, It's got to be more than celebration and it's got to be more than recognition. It's got to be the whole of our soul and spirit and life. Irrespective of what storms come our way. It's very easy, we might say, to be religious. To drift towards Judas. Jesus calls us to follow him in every circumstance with all that we have. You are my king, the king who died for me before whom I bow on bended knee and pour out my soul, my life, my all. Let me pray.
Lord Jesus, we want to pray and say you are my King.